Hey, you're listening to the Catalyst Church Podcast, here to incite change through Jesus. Check us out on social media, Catalyst Church NZ. Now, onto this week's message. I want to say I'm really sorry, everyone, this morning. Last week, if you were here, I, I started prophesying and declaring about full car parks. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, I've got to be more specific. So uh, we're declaring for revival for the car park to be full of people coming to Catalyst. Okay. Uh, praise God. So uh, that's good. Hey, um, this morning, this morning, I want you to buckle in. Uh, I have got a message that if you get this message, if you capture this message, this message will change your life as one of those types of messages. And I don't say that flippantly. I say this uh, with a with an air of humility. I actually didn't intend on preaching this message. When I was going through my Bible and I was looking at this, this is not the message I was intending on preaching, but God just downloaded to me a bunch of stuff. And so the message or the title of my message today is called The Power of Personal Responsibility. The Power of Personal Responsibility. I believe God wants us to take control of our lives and part of that control is surrendering to, to Him. But you are the one that takes the reign in your lives. You are the one uh, that is needing to, to take authority of what you do. And I want to read to you in Ezekiel 18. Are we recording there, gentlemen? Are we all good? Thank you so much. Hey, has not amazing the tech team and what they do every Sunday? Let's give those guys a hand, man. That's amazing. Uh, so there, and uh, Judah, my son on multimedia today. So thank you so much. And Blaze getting trained out there. It's awesome to see young people serving uh, there. And I want to read you what it says in Ezekiel 18. It says this, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the, teeth, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. I don't know if you read that and think, what does that mean? That's exactly what I thought when I read that there. And it says this verse 4, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the, of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. In other words, whoever is responsible will reap their own consequences. This is not a threat This is just a reality of our lives. Verse 5, it continues on. It says this, If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, just and right, and if he does not eat upon the mountains, sorry, let me start again. If a man is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in a time of menstrual impurity, does not oppress anyone, but restores to his debtors his pledge, commits no robbery, gives his bread to the hungry, and covers the naked with a garment, does not lend it interest or take profit, withholds his hand from injustice, executes true justice between man and man, walks in my statutes, and keeps my rules by acting faithfully. He is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord God. And when I read this scripture in this passage here, I was really ready to dig into verses five through nine that just lay out this incredible plan and pattern about how it is for us to live a righteous life, what it looks like. Like the Bible is super practical here. It lays out like a whole bunch of, I love that, man. I love getting instruction. I love knowing what, being told what to do. I hate ambiguity. Like, you know, when you talk to somebody and they're like, I thought I told you, and you like have no idea what is said. The Bible is super clear here. It like lays it up. This is what you do. If you want to be righteous, do this. Do this, do this, do this. It's not like trying to read a woman's mind. Like it's like it's real clear here. 
Like it's like it's amazing. Like you know, I, I am no mind reader. Yeah, she can't read my mind, right? So praise God, right? Like this is super clear. But this passage here is really in two parts. And the first is set up, which didn't really seem to make much sense to me when I first read it, because it says this whole deal about not repeating this proverb or using this proverb. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. What does this even mean? Like the, the, the children's teeth are on edge because the, the dads have eaten some sour grapes. And, and I started to do a little bit of research, and it might be a little bit easier to understand if you hear it in the message um, paraphrase version of the Bible. It says this, the parents ate green apples, but the children got the stomachache. The, the, the parents ate the green apples, but the children got the stomachache. And in other words, somebody else did the deed, and I got the punishment. I got the consequence. I, I, I reaped that, the consequences of there. And in verse three, the Bible says this and makes it super clear. It says, this proverb is no longer to be used by you. In other words, it can no longer be an excuse. You can no longer blame others for the situations or circumstances you find yourself in. Now, I want you to notice something about this proverb here. This is a popular proverb that was used at the time when Ezekiel was around. It was, would have been a well-known saying, you know, when you say things like, so today you might say YOLO, and you'll know what I mean by that. Or some of you will know what I mean by that. You only live once. It's an acronym. You only live once, right? Like the, that's a, it's a saying that's said out there. Well, this is a saying that was said at that time. And notice that God didn't accept this proverb because it was just because it was a popular message of the time. In fact, Back in these days, proverbs or sayings were a popular form of media or messaging in the ancient world because they didn't have social media. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Be Real. They didn't have all these different things that you could do in order to communicate with people. And so proverbs were one of the ways that they communicated. And through his prophet, God commanded that this false message be exposed, answered, and spoken against. And we are called as Christians to speak out truth. We are called to speak out the truth of the Word of God. Just because something might be popular today doesn't mean that it is real or is true. In fact, there is many messages today that are unpopular, but that doesn't make them any less true. And we are called to stand firm on the Word of God. This is truth. This is the truth. The, the, the Bible is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore because Jesus is the Word and it is living and alive. And this thing here, when you read it and it comes inside of you and you consume it, it, it changes and transforms who you like, your life. And just because this popular was proverb didn't mean it was true. And so for many times, you and I, we were, might find ourselves in situations, bad situations that we had very little, even sometimes seemingly nothing to do that made us end up in that space. It's like, God, how did I even get here? Like, I didn't do this. This isn't my fault, this thing here. And, and, and we can often find ourselves in that situation wanting to blame others. But that does not change this truth. And we need to stop shifting the blame onto other people. In other words, no more blame shifting. This, I want to be honest, is a personal challenge for me because it's easy to come up with excuses. I don't know about you. It's easy to come up for excuses for me. Like I can find reasons. I can find things. I find this personally challenge because right now I'm not in love with every single situation I find in my life. Like there are certain situations that I'm like, no, I'm okay, God, if that situation was to disappear and not be a part of my world anymore. And I find myself that it's so easy to come up with excuses, reasons, even facts 
as to why I am where I am today. And those reasons, excuses and facts, they can be legitimate. Like I'm not taking away the legitimacy of some of the things and the situations we find ourselves in. But they are still holding me back. And so I don't want to partake in that. So we need to take personal ownership of our lives. No one else is able to live your life for you. You are fully responsible for every decision you make. You might find yourself in a place where you feel like you have no choice. But even in a place where there is no choice, there is always a choice. The choice might be uncomfortable. The choice might be hard. The choice might have with severe consequences. But there is always a choice when we live our lives. And without ownership of our lives and the current situations we find ourselves in, you will never be able to take the actions and the steps needed to take you to where you need to go. And I want to state something here today that I believe wholeheartedly, that truth always trumps facts. Truth always trumps facts. So I want to tell you something today. This is truth. The Word of God is truth, and it will always trump facts. The facts might say that you have a certain diagnosis from the doctor. The facts might say that your bank account is a certain level. The facts might say that you have a broken relationship right now. But the truth is, is that our God can be bring healing. Our God can release provision. Our God can bring reconciliation, and that is His heart to do. The truth always trumps facts. And we may, the fact may be that you have been dealt a rubbish hand, that your life might now, right now, might not be fair or might not even be just. But God is saying to you today, just like He said to Moses, what is it that is in your hand? What is it that you are holding on right now? And this is a question each and every one of us needs to ask ourselves today. And you might be standing or sitting here before me and you might go, Andy, I feel like I've got nothing. Well, I want to tell you, if you feel like you've got nothing, here is at least something that God has given to you. Because the Bible says, if nothing else, that He has given to each and every one of us a measure of faith. A little bit of faith. We looked at those little um, sunflower seeds that Dean had here today. I, I got one in my hand. I nibbled on it. It felt like nothing. Like it felt like nothing. A mustard seed is like about a tenth the size of those little sunflower seeds there. And the Bible says that if we would have faith the size of just a mustard seed, just the tiniest little bit of faith, you know, you could not believe something with 99.9999% of you, but with that 0.001% of faith, you just hold on to this. And you have this attitude like the man in Mark that comes to Jesus and says, God, I, uh, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. But you just say with this little measure of faith, God, would you move in my world? Would you move? Would you change and transform what's going on? We can see mountains moved. The mountain, the immovable mountain that is before you right now can be moved. However, without ownership, we are always going to be subject to the mountains. We're always going to be subject to other peoples, to other circumstances. We're going to be subject to the the governments, to the economies, to our families. We're going to be subject to other people's voices and influences in our life and so on until we, and, 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 and claim that the situation we face is beyond our control unless we take personal responsibility. The reality is this, is that if you have no ownership over your life, then it is beyond your control or ability to see change because ownership is what gives us the ability to change. And God expects us to take ownership. Check this, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says this, for we must all appear 
before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, every single one of us has a choice on how we're going to live our life. The question to you today is how are you going to live yours? How are you going to live yours? I read this book. This is, uh, it's not the good book. It's another book. It's not even by a Christian man. It's by a guy called jo- Jocko Wilnick. And he is a Navy SEAL. And this book is called Extreme Ownership. And basically, the main message of this book is that effective leadership requires taking full responsibility for one's actions and decisions to inspire people to work together, adapt to challenges, and achieve success. And as you can imagine, being a Navy SEAL, he talks about some pretty intense situations, some already impossible situations. He talks about situations where there are all sorts of variables. Like in war, I know you can speak to, to, to Michael, uh, Officer Michael here. He's part of the Navy, and thank goodness. He looks so sharp, by the way, on his eye. I've told him like three or four times already, but on, on Anzac Day, he was there, he was doing this. And in this book, um, this Navy SEAL talks about all these different situations where you can legitimately consider circumstances to be beyond your control. He talked about deployments where he is in hostile territory and there is enemy, like, like people surrounding where they are. And there is stuff that is well beyond the control and, and that you cannot just control everything that's out there. But what he could control was himself and the research and the effort and the preparation that he put into all of these situations. And he states this statement in his book and I want to quote him here. It says this, leadership is not a talent or a gift. It is a choice. It's not complex, but it is very hard work. Leaders must own everything in their world. There is no one else to blame. He states unequivocally that that each one of us can take personal responsibility for what we do. And I want to tell you right now, personal responsibility is an incredible key that if you grasp this in your life, that the situation you find yourself in will no longer be the restriction on your life, but actually it will be the thing that you look at and go, God, what can I do? What can we do in this situation? So personal responsibility, when we come to the second half of the scripture here found in Ezekiel 18, is the, the key for living a righteous life. And in verses five through nine, we get this incredible picture of what it is, the life that we are to live and what it could look like to live a life that is pleasing to God. What does it look like to live a life that is pleasing to God? So what is righteousness? What does it mean to live a righteous life? Well, righteousness by man's standards is defined as the quality of being morally true or justifiable. And the justification is made on the basis of the behaviors that we demonstrate. But I believe, however, when we talk about biblical righteousness, when we talk about living a righteous life, that there is something bigger than that. See, it's deeper in its spiritual meaning. Righteousness is the quality of being right before the eyes of God, including in our character, that's our nature, in our conscience, that's our attitude, in our conduct, that's our actions, And in our command, that's the words that we use. It is the whole message. It's the whole package. It's the whole deal. It's not just about living out some actions that people can see or experience before other people, but it's actually the way we live our lives. The way that I remember what righteousness means is that I I take the word and it's almost, it's almost there right before us. Righteousness is right standing before God. Would what I do put me in right standing before God? And so biblical righteousness is based on God's standards, not man's. 
So then when we look at verses 5 through 9 here in chapter 18 of Ezekiel, that changes a little bit about how we should be approaching our life. And I want to look at what righteous living looks like because I believe in a world today, we can shine bright by taking responsibility of our lives and looking at these. And my, my prayer today is a little bit like I want to offend some people. Not because I want to be offensive, I'm going out there, but because the Word of God should challenge us. Like when you hear what I say today, it should be challenging to you in some way, shape, or form. It should offend the flesh. It should offend like this, this man going out there. I read this when I was there and I was at home and I went, oh, okay, God, I'll let you decide what you think it was for me. One of these like was just like, it hit me. It hit me. I'm like, okay, God, this is an area in my life that I'm going to work on. I'm going to, I'm going to be here. So I want to read to you what it says this. At the very start of there, it says in verse five, if a man or woman is righteous, and does what is just and right. In other words, the whole idea here is it does, is, is doing, is an action, is to put into practice our beliefs and God's standards into our life so that we can demonstrate to the world that we have taken personal responsibility to live a life that is pleasing for God. So verse six, it says this, we live a righteous life if we, if we do not eat upon the mountains. Oh no, that means we can't go up Mount Victoria anymore. No, 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 it doesn't mean this. Back in the day, what happened here is that not eating in the mountains meant not partaking in the ritual meals that were part of sacrifices that were made up in high places. In other words, not being a part of, of, of these, these acts of idolatry. So in this first part here, it means to stay undefiled or to keep a heart of purity, to be pure in who we are. That we're not participating in things that would take the place of, of God and would take the place and be number one, but actually that we would stay undefiled, that we would be clean before God, that we're not eating in these other places, not participating in these other activities. Then it goes on, it says, all lift eyes up to idols of the house of Israel. In other words, we need to reject idols. What is an idol? An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. An idol is Anything that can take the place of God in your life. It's so incredible that there are so many things in our world that try and take number one, that become the most number one there. My wife knows that God is number one in my life. It is the reason that we got married. Because if God wasn't number one, we would never have been able to start a relationship. God comes before her. I love God with all my heart. Now, I love my wife, and the Bible tells me and commands me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And that means to lay down my life for her. So I love her. Hear me right on this. But God is number one. My job is not number one. Sorry, sorry, Dino. But God, Jesus is number one. My friends are not number one. Sorry, all my friends. Like, you know, you're number one. This church is not number one. The church is not number one. God is number one. Money is not number one. Popularity is not number one. What people think about me is not number one. God is number one. So whatever I do, we need to reject anything that it would be an idol. And that was something that would try and take the place of God. It is any object. It is any idea that is worshipped or revered instead of God. In Exodus 20 verse 3, it says this, You shall have no other gods before me. And as Christians, we are called to worship and serve God alone. And to avoid, avoid any other form of idolatry, whether it says to live a righteous life, you do not defile your neighbor's wife. In other words, you're sexually pure. 
that we reserve sex to the place God designed it, marriage to the marriage bed. That is somewhere that God wants us to be. This means that we take control of our urges and our sex drive. We take that authority and we bring it into alignment with the Word of God. This is what it means to live a righteous life, that before God, that we are sexually pure. And it continues on, verse 6, he says this, nor approach a woman in a time of menstrual impurity. I want to tell you something about the Bible. The Bible is an incredible book because it honours women. See, in the context in the society that this was written, women were deemed as property. They were basically just the same as a property, like a slave. When you had a wife, that was your property and you could do with it what you wanted. But the Bible brings incredible honour. In fact, if you go back into Genesis, we see God when He creates man and woman, He creates them together. He creates them in His image. It's not He created a man as an image and a woman as a sidekick. No, He created a man and woman in His image. Therefore, we are equally before God. And He, the Bible gives women dignity and respect and we are called men let me stand up and say this we are called to honor women we're like we're where the bible makes it incredibly clear woman you need to honor your sisters like there is like there is cattiness that goes around like and stuff like that's going there like like we need to cut that we need to cut that out we honor one another verse 7 he continues on he says righteousness does not does not oppress anyone we're not oppressive. What does it mean to be oppressive? To be oppressive means to use your power or authority to unjustly control or dominate someone. We're not called to dominate people. We're not called to shut people down. We're called to bring freedom to people. We're called to bring liberty. We're called to bring like an expression and encourage and uplift them. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is who Jesus was called to be and we are called to be like Jesus, to release freedom in our world. Man, there's so many words that are spoken today that cut people down, that try and restrict them into a box. Oh, you'll never amount to that. You can't do that. Oh, I don't say that. Don't speak that. And then people tell us the dreams. Oh, that's a big dream. I don't think you could do that. Man, my, my goal in life is me. Man, you can do that. Shoot for the stars. Man, you fall up. Let's get up again. Let's go again. We are not oppressive. We don't say, oh, because of your background, because of your education, because of your lack of finances, because of your lack of skills, because of your lack of resource, you can't do this, this or this. If it's a God-given dream, God will release it. When God says something, God will release it out there. We are not oppressive. We are not meant to be people that bring oppressive down on there. Our words have the power of life and death. I heard of this incredible study, terrible study. It's called the monster study. You can look it up. And what they did is they got these, all these kids and they, they split them up into a couple of different groups. The control group that was, a, was a bunch of just normal kids and they spoke over them, they encouraged them. Group number two was a bunch of stutterers. But into this group of stutterers, they placed six kids that didn't have a stutter. They placed six kids into the stutter. And then every time they did it, they, they reminded them, said, remember to speak your words. Remember you have difficulty with this. You need to take your time. You need to do this. And they just created an environment where it was spoken over them, this, this problem that they have. And they're all very conscious and all very aware of this. Those six kids that went in them, five of them went on to develop a lifelong stuttering issue that they could not overcome. Before the study started, they did not have that issue. They were put in this environment. They were oppressed and it forever changed them. And I believe Jesus can heal people. And 
maybe you're here today and you've had people be oppressive in your life, in your world. God can and will bring healing. We can pray and release that off of you. I don't want to, I want to bind you into that for the rest of your life. But I want to tell you, we are not called to be oppressive. Righteous living releases freedom to the world around them. The next one, it says this, it says, Righteous living restores to the debtor his pledge. In other words, we pay back your debts. debts. If you owe someone and it's within your power to pay them back, do it. We don't withhold. Like we, you, you take a loan. You take a loan and you do something there. And, and in other words, we don't take advantage of other people's generosity. We don't just give and give, uh, receive, receive, receive. But like when someone does something to you and you say you're going to pay them back, we're going to release that back to them. That's what righteous living does. You do what you say you're going to do. In verse 7, it goes on there. Righteous living means it commits no robbery, no stealing. Oh, he's stealing. He's stealing. No stealing. You're righteous. You know, and, and I think about this and you're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Like I remember when I was a kid and I first shoplifted something. I'm not proud to say it, but I was at the dairy at the shop and I went in there and I wanted to buy a 50 cent lolly and I had 50 cents there and I was standing at the desk and I was waiting there. I was waiting there. I was waiting there and the man didn't come out. So I walked off. I took that thing. I took my 50 cents because lollies only cost 50 cents back in the day. Praise God. And I walked out of there and I stole this thing. And I remember as I'm walking down, I'm eating this. I got so convicted. It was so bad, but I didn't return the money. I wasn't yet saved. So I was there. But like, you know, we often think of stealing like that. Oh, I don't go steal like cars, you know, and I don't steal like, you know, I don't go robbing houses. and I'm not robbing banks and all this sort of stuff. But actually... Not stealing means like having integrity with doing what we say we're going to do and not taking time from other places. One of the most common ways that we steal in the 21st century is stealing from our workplaces by giving less than what we're paid to do. We shortcut our breaks. We turn up late. We leave early. We check out of what we're doing. We don't put in our best effort. Man, it's so easy to steal and give less than what what, what we said we're going to do. You know, we we sign a contract and it has a job description of all the things and we go, go, yeah, cool, I'm going to do all this. And then we don't do it. We're stealing from that place. We steal from our relationships. When we, when, when in our house, we've got a beautiful frame that my wife did for our last anniversary. It's got all our marriage vows. Man, I put some intense vows in there. I promised a lot of stuff. And sometimes I fall short. I'm stealing from my marriage when I don't do that. When I don't give my best effort, we steal from God when we come in here and we don't give a surrendered life there. We Righteous living means I'm not, I'm not going to restrict myself from other people as well. It's not just physically stealing, although of course it is not physically stealing as well. Verse 7, it continues on this, righteous living gives His bread to the hungry. We're generous to the poor. I want to tell you right now, God has a heart for the poor. And throughout the Bible, He commands us to look out for the poor and the, the, the widow. Proverbs 3.27 says this, Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. In other words, we need to look for opportunities. Whenever you possibly can. Like I, I remember hearing the story of a man that would hold this, would, would, would have notes in his pocket. I read it. It's in this book that I'm reading called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. It's an incredible book. And he used to ha- have a guy who'd have a $100 bill in his pocket. And that $100 bill was not because he was there. That $100 bill would go to someone. He didn't know where or when. Sometimes that $100 bill would last in his, in his pocket for, for half a day. Sometimes it would last in there for a month. He didn't know where and when, but he had this as a heart of generosity looking 
looking to see who we could help. And God wants us to be generous people, to, to, to feed the poor, to look out and to create that. And I, in, in this church, we want to create opportunities to bring that, to feed the hungry. There is people in our city today, in Auckland, New Zealand, that are going without food and that's not okay. I love the heart that Alicia's had at times to, to go and make meals and to release them out to those that are homeless, those that are there. We, we need to be generous to the poor. Continues on there, verse 7, it says this, righteous living looks like this, that covers the naked with a garment. In other words, we bring covering to other people. Now I look around this room and I praise God that you're all wearing clothes. Amen. Amen. We all say amen about that. But I reckon there's another sort of nakedness that we can cover because often we fall short and there's an exposing of our shortcomings. And in 1 Peter 4.8, it says that most important of all to continue to show deep love for each other for love covers a multitude of sins. See, there is a nakedness where people expose things that aren't meant to be shown. That's what nakedness is. And what we are called to do as Christians is we're called to bring a covering to people where they fall short. A covering is released by the grace of God that we give and that we don't share these things through gossip and other things. Oh, did you hear about what so-and-so did? No, no, no. We cut it off there and we, we cover them. And when I talked about making excuses before, this is a great practice that I've implemented in my life and I try, I remind myself to do this. When someone does you wrong, when something's going on, find an excuse as to why it could be. Like I look at somebody speeding down the T2 lane and my excuse is they're going because their wife is in labour and they need to rush them off to the, the hospital. Like, you know, like, 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 like find an excuse when somebody says something like bad to you and they, they, they say something short to you, you go, oh man, uh, they must be having a really rough time if they're saying that in their life, you know. And you just find excuses for other people and that there's a grace of God that God will give you. Now that excuse may or may not be real, but we extend love and we, see, we extend our mercy and we extend our grace and we bring a covering to other people. Verse 8, righteousness does not lend it interest or take any profit. In other words, we don't take it financial advantage of those that are unable to, to get themselves up. If you're in a position to give to those who need it, then we're not called to make a profit from those. Those that are without, those that are in need. It doesn't mean that we're not to make money. God wants us to be able to make money. It means that the way we make our money is important. Righteous living, verse 8 continues on, says, Righteousness withholds his hand from injustice and executes true justice between man and man. So we're called to stand for justice. We're called to stand for what is right and to not participate in things that are unjust. Verse 9, it continues on, it says, Righteousness walks in my statutes. In other words, we are obedient to God. Man, this is a list. This is a challenging list. We are obedient to God. See, when we walk in, in the statutes of God, walking is active. Walking is continuous. Walking isn't an a, a action that we did three years ago on the 27th of March. I remember I, was, I did this thing and it was amazing I did that. Walking is a continual thing that we do day by day, obedient to God. And we are called to live a life that is obedient to the Word of God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Lastly, verse 9. This is a, a list. This is a challenging list. Anyone been challenged today? Oh dear. Righteousness keeps my rules by acting faithfully. Righteousness looks like faithfulness. 
Righteousness looks like faithfulness, demonstrates faithfulness. This is the quality of being committed, loyal, and devoted to God and His teachings as it's revealed in the Bible, as we understand here. And the result of all this, as we look through verses 5 and 9, this is what it says. It goes through all these things. This is what righteousness is, and then it finishes by saying this in verse 9. He is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord God. In other words, we are in right standing before God. It's not about what somebody else has said. It's not about the other situations that have been found and we find ourselves in today and we make excuses because ultimately we are all personally responsible for how we respond in each one of these areas. Each and every one of these areas we are personally responsible for. And I believe today God is wanting to bring to us a shift in our lives some of the excuses, the reasons for why we've lived and made the choices that we have. I'm sorry, but God's just kind of put a, a rubber to that and erased that. It's no longer valid. Today, we take personal responsibility and ownership for our lives. But I understand that as we do that, we take this personal responsibility, God comes. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. I find it very interesting that in the Bible, God wants to draw near to us, but the first person to make the move is us. And in my life, I've discovered that God will respond every time I reach out to Him. But often if I don't reach out to Him, I don't know where He's at. And so today, God is saying to you, will you reach out to me? Will you draw near to me? Will you draw in and receive what I have for you? And whatever area of life, whatever area we fall short, I, I hope you haven't felt condemned by this. That's not the goal. All I want is to believe for the conviction of God to come. And when God brings a conviction, He brings a grace to live in the way that He's called you to live. And the grace of God is the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit to live this life. So let's pray. God, I thank You right now for every single person here in this place. God, I thank You that You have called us to live a life of personal responsibility. And God, even in this moment, You are here in the midst. God, You are doing incredible things. And God, I know that many of us face situations that are unfair, even unjust. But God, You have a way through. And God, today You are helping us to make choices, good choices for righteous living. And I pray right now, Lord, this week as you've stirred on people's hearts, Lord, you would give them the grace to make the choice to stand for righteousness. You know, today, if you're here, and I don't know everyone in this room, and I don't know where everyone's at, but I want to give an opportunity that if you're here and you don't know God, to get right before God, the Bible says, for all of us have sinned and fall short. And that when we sin, we earn death. But Jesus came and He died on a cross to pay the price for our sins so that we could have the eternal gift of God, the gift of God being eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says this, Romans 10 verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've never made a decision like that, and you'll say to me today, Andy, you know what? I need to make the decision. Today is the day. In a moment, I'm going to get you to slip up your hand to indicate to me that's me, Andy. And I'm 
going to lead you in a prayer. Or maybe you're here today and you once did that. You've done that before sometime in the past, but right now you know that you're just not walking with God. For whatever reason, you're drifted away. But today you're saying, Andy, today is the day I'm coming back. You too, in a moment, you make that your prayer. You lift up your hand. Or maybe you're here as a third category. You just would say to me, Andy, I actually have no idea where I stand before God. But you say, you'd also say to me, you know what? I do want to be sure. I want to know that I know. That scripture says that if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is the Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I would love to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of your heart. And the important thing about this prayer is not so much the words, although we will confess words out loud, but the words are expression of your heart. And so if you're here today in any one of those three categories, never given your life to Jesus, you once did, but you're far from Him, and today you're coming back or you're not sure where you stand before God, why don't you quickly slip up your hand, I'll see it, pray for you. Lead you in prayer. Is there anyone here today who want to make that prayer? Say, that's me, Andy. Just lift up your hand right now. I'm just looking around. Is there anyone here? Say, that's me. I want to get right before God today. I want to pray that prayer, Andy. That's me. I need to get right before God. It's the greatest thing you can ever do. I remember that day so vividly when I prayed that prayer. It changed my life forever. Is there anyone here say, that's me, Andy. I want to get right with God. I know that we've got donuts, but I just this is the most important thing today. Is anyone else, anyone here would say, that's me. Just lift up your hand. Pray for you. Believe for awesome. Praise God. Awesome. I see that hand. Fantastic. You can put it down. Anyone else here today say, that's me. I need to get right before God. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else, you know that's for you. Your heart's beating, maybe it's just going a bit faster. Jesus is here, He loves you. He wants you to know and experience His presence today. Awesome, I see that here. Thank you, God. This is what we're going to do, churches. For those that lifted your hands, you're going to make this your prayer, but everyone's going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say a line, you're going to repeat it after me. And everyone's going to say it with them to encourage those people that have done it. And, uh, and then afterwards, I'm going to invite you to come out to the front foyer there or come up the front speak to me if you've got prayer and any need and you can get a Bible get a gift if you need a Bible and all that sort of thing but church we're going to pray this prayer so pray after me say dear Jesus I come to you today and I surrender my life God I'm sorry for every wrong thing that I have done and I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price so that I could be forgiven. Today I choose to make You my Lord and my Saviour. I thank You that You receive me into Your family. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the heavens rejoice right now. Maybe you lifted your hand or maybe you didn't. We'll just give a celebration right now. We're going to wrap up in just a moment and we're going to bring out the donuts and stuff, but I do want to pray for people. If you're here today, we're at Church at Praise and if you have any prayer needs in your life, you can come up and I'll pray for you as well and Bianca will be around and whatnot. But if you, if you today, as I've shared this message and you know that there's just a particular area in your life 
where God is calling you to stand for righteousness that you have struggled for, I want to tell you there is a grace of God, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to change and transform that. And I'd love to pray for you. So why don't we all just stand to our feet right now. I'm going to pray just one more time and then we're going to close the meeting. So God, I thank You right now that we don't have to do this in our own strength, our own ability, but God, You help us, You empower us. That Holy Spirit, You walk with us. And so today, I pray right now for every single person, God, to walk from this place. I pray that they're encouraged. Lord God, I pray that they're, they're challenged. God, but I pray most of all that, that we would know You more as a result of what's happened here. And God, today I pray for anyone here that just wants particular prayer, God, that You would give them boldness to come forward. So if you need prayer today, something stood out to you, the Spirit of God has spoken to you. Why don't you come at the front now? If you need prayer for anything else, come out to the front.